You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website, thisisbaptistchurch.com. Uh, the bottom word is trust. That word over there is risk. And then fear is right in the middle of it. So uh, I've spent probably a year trying to prepare and, and get this message together and get it ready. And I uh, just feel real strongly that, uh, that God wants me to share this today. So I want you to take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28, and I want you to stand in honor of God's Word. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. Now one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now I want you to take a right and go over to Romans. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Romans 8. Verse 1. Romans 8 verse 1 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I want everyone to look this way. There will be times that this message will be painful for you. Okay? And I want you to understand this. Periodically... I'm going to remind you of that verse right there. Okay, so let's look at it again. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then look at verse 35. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, again, Romans 8 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you, and we give you glory. Lord, you alone are worthy to be praised. Lord, I've been here 13 and a half years. I have never seen the enemy work like he has this morning. There is part of me that almost feels like I can't stand up here. But there's another part of me that says I must stand up here. And so, Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you draw people right now. And I ask, dear Lord, if there's anyone in this room that... uh, 
needs to hear this message today that their heart would be sensitive to what you want to say to them. Lord, I'm not, I'm not here to perform. I probably won't go to the door today. I don't need people to tell me I did a good job. I'm not here to perform today. I'm here to share the Word of God. Lord, this message has laid on me a long time. So I know that it's important. And I really know it now. So Lord, I pray that our hearts would be sensitive. And Lord, if there's anyone that is outside this room that needs to be in this room, I pray, dear Lord, that you lay it on the heart of the one who's in this room to go outside of this room and ensure that every person, I don't care if they have to go down to the nursery and say, look, I'll take the nursery. I don't care if there's someone standing out in that hallway, dear Lord, that needs to hear. I pray, dear Lord, today that people would hear a message from you. And Lord, if there's anything in me, in any way that would hinder your word, I ask you, dear Lord, to forgive me, to cleanse me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And let me be a vessel that you can use. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can, you can be seated. We've been talking about the blockades to a healthy relationship over the last several weeks. We've talked about what we call the disguise of dishonesty. That a lot of times when we are in a relationship that we tend to sometimes be dishonest. There's a measure of dishonesty as if it's kind of normal. Like we're, uh, the idea here is, is that I, I can't be totally honest in a relationship because if I am, then chances are this person will not accept me for who I am. Then we looked at the baggage of bitterness and we said this, we said, you know, a lot of times we can get a bitter spirit. We've been hurt in the past. Something has gone wrong in our life. And because of that, it can weigh heavy on us and it can taint and affect every other relationship. So we talked about the baggage of bitterness and how that can affect us. Then we talked last week about the conquest for control, that a lot of times in relationships, a man or a woman in a husband and a wife relationship, or boyfriend and girlfriend, or parent child, or whatever it is, that people are trying to control one another. They're trying to have the upper hand. We talked about the danger of that, but today I'm talking on the subject of the redeeming of romance. I had a conversation with a man that I greatly respect he is a man that is a, he is a foremost authority in his field. But I'm not sure that this man is a believer. And in the course of the conversation, I asked him this question. I said, I've noticed something in 30 years of ministry, and perhaps you can help me with this. I said, I've noticed today that there's not much romance. There's, there's not much passion anymore. And I said, can I ask you something? Can I ask you your opinion? This man said something that blew me out of the water. I never expected it out of him. He said, promiscuity. He what, as far as I know, not a believer, not a Christian. An authority in his field, in the area of behavioral science, in the area of, science, in the area of counseling. But that literally shocked me when he said that. And the more I thought about it, the more truth. What do you mean by promiscuity? I mean here, sex outside of marriage. I believe that sex outside of marriage promiscuity is destroying 
relationships today. It's destroying core relationships. Most of all, I believe it affects strong, healthy marriages and it is in its wreaking havoc today in our nation. And, and so I want to say something first of all. I want to say this just as clear as I can. Number one, sex is a gift. It is a gift from God. Okay. If you go back and you look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, the Bible says here, in fact, we'll just go back, take a left, go back and look at it real quickly because I, don't wanna, I do not want to spend a lot of time here. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, the, the Bible says here that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and, he, and well, that's chapter 3, chapter 2, verse 21. In verse 21, it says, so the Lord God caused a man to fall into a deep sleep, caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs. He closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a, made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she has been taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. He will be united to his wife. That is the sexual consummation of marriage. He will be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Sex is a gift. And within the bonds of marriage, it is not just merely the propagation or, or the propagation of the human race, it's the consummation of physical and spiritual union. And yet in our day today, it's recreational sex. I hear the terminology today where sex is some kind of casual pastime. It's the equivalent of going and eating a meal to a lot of people. It's kind of how we end a date. We go out, we have a meal, then we have sex. But I want you to know something. It is destroying this nation today. In the area of relationships, we are sowing the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. We have created a culture today where sex has become a tool of corporate giants to sell whatever they're trying to sell. And I don't see no end in, in, in sight. We've created a culture today where so many people today use it. They play on man's weakness. They capitalize on this sacred act of marriage and they market it in, in a way that literally tears down and destroys the original intent. For the average man sitting in this room today, I want you to know something. The deck is stacked against you when it comes to this area of sexuality. You're living in a day today when, when holiness is becoming more and more difficult to hang on to as a man because culturally we are living in a nation that has removed all restraint. We've removed all perimeters and we've said nothing is taboo anymore. Anything goes. And the outcome is, is that we've created a culture that's easily dissatisfied sexually, that's fickle, that's easily distracted. It's immature sexually. It's like a child today who is playing with matches and doesn't realize the high cost that is involved in the act itself. Today we've created a culture where children today, where adults today act like children when it comes to sex. And they're easily distracted by another. 
We're living in a workplace today where men and women are working together. And a man may come into that workplace, a woman may come into that workplace, and they're dressed up and they're fixed up and they're putting their best foot forward. At home they may may be a belching, greasy, gas-releasing imbecile. But at work, he appears or she appears to be something else. Flirting has become the national pastime in America today. It's an innocent game. It's done everywhere. And there's nothing wrong with it, the world says. It's not a problem that was just a part of our day or is a part of our day. It's a problem in the days of Jesus. Jesus was faced with the adulterous woman. We forget. You know, we love to to see that scene and to see sweet Jesus telling that woman, neither do I condemn thee. We don't mind that part out of it, but we have great difficulty with the last part when he said, now go and sin no more. It must have been difficult in Jesus' day because when he was with the woman at the well... He said, go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. He he said, you've answered well. You've had five husbands and the man that you're living with is not your husband. Mary Magdalene. And you may say, well, Brother Jeff, why is this so critical? Because this promiscuous sexual misconduct today in our culture is undermining marriages. It is undermining the romance and the passion that needs to be between a man and a woman. People may say, well, wait a minute, we're married and we've been honest with one another. We've told each other the truth. Well, if I've married you, I know you probably have because I almost demand that you do so. But my friend, hear me. Unless there is repentance a promiscuity, unless there is recognition of the damage, unless there is a loathing of the event, unless there is a, is a breaking away from the person, not only physically but mentally, then listen, it is no wonder that in the Old Testament that promiscuity was a, listen to this, it was a death sentence. That adultery was a death sentence. Why? Because the Old Testament and even our God understood the enormous amount of damage that would take place once we had compromised this area of our lives. In Psalm 51, David was adulterous. David was called up in sexual immorality. David was promiscuous. And yet David said, my sin in Psalm 51 is ever before me. My bones are broken. The damage to David's household was far-reaching. And again, I remind you, in Romans 8.35, it says this. In Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is no condemnation. 8.35, it says, Nothing will separate us from the love of God. But hear me. Hear me. Listen to me closely. We are riding a cultural tidal wave that is going to take us to ruin and destruction. It is destroying marriages. It is destroying homes. It's destroying relationships. And it's stealing that romance. And it's stealing that passion. Hear me, I'm sharing with you with all my heart. Some people say, well, you know, God forgives. Yes, God forgives. 
You better believe God forgives. We're all in this room together, able to celebrate and lift up and praise and worship God because God forgives. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, Paul said, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Young people, listen to me. Sex is a sin when it's outside of marriage. Adult, listen to me. If you are involved in promiscuity and sexual misconduct, hear me, sin like that is like a seed. You put it in the ground. You may forget about it, but it'll come up years later. I am begging. I am begging. I am pleading with teenagers in this room. I am pleading with young people today. Hold on to your virginity. Not only you young ladies, but you young men. True love does wait. And I promise you this, I promise you this on the Word of God, I promise you this, that if you will wait, God will bless that relationship one day in a way you'll never, ever fully begin to just grasp and understand. It is so much and so important. Oh, hear the heart of your pastor. It matters or worse, folks. I've been in the ministry 30 years now, and I would say sexual abuse is at the point of being an epidemic. We're authority figures. Teachers are sleeping with, with the teenage students today. Fathers and mothers molesting their own children. We are called up in a situation today where we have more sexual abuse today than we've ever had. I believe in the history of this land. Now why is it? Because culturally we are sexually sick and we are addicted to a twisted, unbiblical, perverted model. We become preoccupied with sex. There's an abuse of it in an unbiblical form. And the loss of romance and the loss of passion is destroying relationships and is directly linked to the promiscuity prior to two people getting married. Ladies, what you long for often for a lifetime is never satisfied. Men, what you long for for a lifetime is never satisfied because you do not have understanding. You've never had modeled before you an example of godly, biblical romance and passion. Dads are critical to a girl. I want to, tell this, I want to say this to every dad. Dad, you are critical to that daughter hanging on to that gift that she'll one day give that man. You are the front line of defense. Your acceptance, your affirmation, your time, your fellowship is so critical in the upbringing of that daughter. And if she knows that her dad loves her, she doesn't need another man to tell her that. She doesn't need it. Sons need to be taught. It needs to be modeled. An example of passion and commitment and an understanding that once sex is outside of marriage, it is always damaging and will always take a great cost. Now, question number two. If sex is a gift, what's happened to the passionate, romantic, life-changing relationships. Now stay with me here. Due to the abuse today of sex, 
and the Hollywood distortion. Hollywood today has so distorted. My goodness, if you would have went back even two decades ago and showed primetime ABC, NBC, CBS, those people 20 years ago, they would have rose up in revolt and said, my God, what's happening to the nation? And now Hollywood flaunts it in our face. I'm going to tell you, hear me. Hollywood's either got, they've either got fires, they've got rain, they've got mudslides, they, ha, they are in, listen, they are a federal disaster area in finances. Washington has been shut down for the last two weeks. The East Coast, from, from the top down to the bottom, has experienced snowfall and blizzards in all the years of keeping record. There has never been an event like the last two weeks. God is shaking this nation from... It's as if God's put His hand on one side of this nation, a hand on the other side of this nation, and He's crying out for this nation to repent. Statement was made a couple of days ago there had not been a homicide, there had not been a murder in Washington, D.C. They acted as if that was a miracle. The reason that there hasn't been a, a murder is simply because God shut down Washington. God's reminded this nation we don't have a political problem, we've got a spiritual problem, and my friend, if we don't fix it pretty quick, God's not going to stomach us much longer. And so we come to this thing of love. You know, it's amazing to me that as I worked on this, I never thought about it. I didn't think about it to just a couple of days ago that today was, was Valentine's Day. That never even occurred to me. So to me, that was a miracle in and of itself. So what I did is I drew an illustration and I want you to see this and I want you to understand this. And I, and I tell you what, let me do this. Take a right from Mark and go over to Ephesians because I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, um, 23. Well, let's just look at verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Everybody, everybody find it and then look this way. Ephesians 5.25. God says to husbands, He says, men, He says, love your wife. Now, He says this using the word agape. And, and He goes on to say this. He says, men, He says, I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, I want you and I today, I want us to understand what a biblical model of love is. You see, this is what Mark was saying in Mark chapter 12, going back to what Jesus said here. He said, listen, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is one. What he, listen, this was the Shema. It was memorized by every Israelite. Every Jewish child memorized this. Then he said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. But why is that so difficult? Why have we lost passion and romance today? Let me, give you one, let me give you some things to write down. Number one, write this down. Real love, real biblical love demands risk. 
Now, now stay with me here. You may say, wait a minute, what do you mean risk? Risk what? When you love somebody, you're risking your heart, your soul, your mind, your consciousness. Listen, God says this. God says, listen, if you're going to love me, you're going to love me with your heart, your soul, your mind, your conscience, your strength, every bit of you. The only problem is, is that kind of love requires a risk. Ladies, hear me. Sometimes that's difficult for a man. In fact, I feel sorry for women today in our culture. Romantic, passionate love is a deep giving of oneself. It is a relinquishing of the control of the command center of our life, and it's giving it over to somebody else. You see, love is when you and I take the heart and we actually take our heart and we lift it up toward God and we give it to somebody else. That's the picture of love. And when we do that, it makes us vulnerable. We pull down our defenses. We hand over our heart and we say, here it is. This is the most precious thing in all of the world to me and I'm giving it to you. It's the equivalent here of a warrior who pulls back the breastplate that guards his chest and most of all guards his heart. It's the equivalent of a warrior removing his breastplate in battle. And listen, ladies, a warrior does not naturally do that. It is against his nature. A man doesn't merely guard his heart. He barricades it. He ropes it off. He walls it in. But men to passionately, to passionately and romantically love that woman that God has sent in your life or is going to send in your life will require you to risk. And I'm not just talking here to men, I'm talking to the women. It is the ability to pull back and say, here's my heart, this is it, I give it to you. That's what God requires. God says, I want you to love me passionately. I want you to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I want you to take your heart and I want you to hand it up to me. But real love demands risk. I've had men and women look at me. I've had men look at me. Say, I can't, I just almost feel like I can't do that. And I'll say, why? Because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be hurt. But love demands it. Demands risk. And risk, hear me, requires trust. If I walk over to this wall... And I lean against it. This is trust. If I'm tired and I lean against it, I rest. If I'm real tired and I just sit on it and I rest. When I love... I risk. When I risk, 
I'm leaning. When I'm leaning, I'm leaning against somebody else. I'm in a relationship, I'm leaning. And hear me, hear me. When it comes to a husband and wife, we are leaning to the degree that we understand that if they fall, we fall too. And we don't want to do that. This is the reason many of you don't have a romantic, passionate relationship. Some of you are maybe smiling right now and you're dating. That don't mean nothing. That's infatuation. There's nothing to it. It means absolutely nothing. You know nothing about what I'm talking about here. When a man and woman love each other romantically and passionately, they do this. And when they do this, they're risking. Because they understand that love demands risk, but they realize this, it is worth the risk. And so they, and so they find themselves leaning, and to risk means that we, it requires trust. When I trust that, it means the word trust in the Hebrew, this is trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In the Hebrew meant this. What it means is when it says trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. What the Bible was saying is, is this is the picture of trust. This is a man or woman who has learned to lean on God totally, completely. They are pushing because they know that God will not let them down. And they are resting against Him. And God requires that you and I especially in marriage, understand that we, when we love, we risk. When we risk, risk requires trust. If I lean against something, I'm risking a fall. The more I trust, the more I lean. The more I lean, the more vulnerable I become. In other words, the more I lean, the greater the risk. Ladies, please hear what I just said. Let me repeat that. The more I trust, the more I lean. The more I lean, the more vulnerable I become. The more I lean, the greater the risk. The reason your relationship may not be healthy it's because one or both of you are afraid to lean against the other. And you may say, Brother Jeff, I don't know, but why? Number one, if there's been promiscuity in the past, if there's been promiscuity in the past, it affects the ability of your partner to be able to lean against you. You may say, well, Brother Jeff, what can I do about it? You said there's no condemnation. There's forgiveness. That, that's all of that is true. And please hear me, that is so true. But there needs to be repentance. And I'm afraid that repentance has become a word we don't hear much anymore. And we know nothing about in today's church. You say, well, Brother Jeff, why is it that way? Is it just promiscuity? No, it's also a media. 
It is also the media today that has programmed this culture of America to believe that there's no such thing as purity anymore. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 1 through 6, He said, one man, one woman for life. But our culture today, Hollywood today, has somehow convinced us that no one can be trusted, no one is faithful, everyone flirts, and it's harmless. It's just the way I've been made. And so we're afraid to love. Because we have been programmed not to. And every prime time show today says this. There is no such thing as loyalty. There's no such thing as purity. There's no such thing as family commitment. There's no such thing as marital commitment. There's no such thing as family anymore. Because we've been programmed to believe that. Because the movies and the industry today has told us that we cannot believe that anymore. Can I ask you a question? If there's not the trust in your marriage that there ought to be, could I ask you a question? Do you exhibit qualities that create trust? I believe Facebook will go down as a a tool to the enemy. I believe it will. The enemy was called the prince of the air. And I can tell you, most people today are carrying on conversations with everybody but the one they're married to. Oh, wait a minute. I wasn't talking about your spouse. I was talking about Jesus. Emails, Facebook, phones today. The workplace, the lack of accountability to partners has made this road even more difficult. Today, most people are sexually active at younger and younger ages. Listen to this, mom and dad. Kevin Lehman, a foremost expert on parenting, often used on the Dobson Show, said that youth are now defined, a boy is a youth at 10 years of age, and a girl is a youth at 9. And 12-year-olds are having children. People say, well, I, you know, Brother Jeff, this is, this is hard. Hear me, romance and passion comes when you and I are repentant of our past, we put it under the blood of Jesus Christ, and then we begin to lean on a person totally and completely with abandonment. Let me give you something real quick. Take, your, take a left and go over to Psalm 127. I want you to see this. Psalm 127. Men, I want you to stay with me here because this is a beautiful picture of a man and a woman in love. In Psalm 127, it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Okay? It is the picture of a warrior. Men, his home is secure. He is secure because he is in Christ. 
But I want you to stay with me here. Watch this. Look at 127 verse 4. In verse 3, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from, from Him. Now watch verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Okay, now the Bible basically says this. It says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. So men, stay with me here. A man, a man of God, is secure because he's in Christ. Because see, unless the, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, so here is a man, he is a God-built man. He is secure. Okay, now you've got to see that, men. Stay with me here. He is a warrior. Behind him is a quiver. And that quiver is in that, and then that quiver is arrows. But those arrows are not merely arrows. This is the picture of a man who has children in the quiver and he's reaching out and he fires and he's firing at his enemy. And his enemy is the devil. His enemy is the darkness. He's actually firing in future generations. As his enemy lifts his head, he pulls out an arrow. He pulls back and he fires away at his enemy. And his enemy is going to feel the effects. When he's dead and gone, he's still going to feel his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and his great-great-grandchildren. And on and on he goes because he's firing at the enemy. So this is a warrior. He's secure. He's in Christ. His children are secure. He's like a warrior fighting his enemy. But I want you to see this, ladies. Here it comes. Look at Psalm 128, verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Wow. Men, remember? He stands like a wall. He's like a rock. Why? Because he's securely planted on the rock of ages. He has his quiver. He's in battle. He's a warrior. But the Bible says his wife is like a vine... Can I ask you something? What does a vine have to have? It has to have something to climb and to cling to. Men, hear me. He's secure. He's in Christ. His children are like arrows behind him. He's fighting against an enemy. His wife is standing. She's able to cling to his side because he is unmovable. Tragedy is, you can't ladies cling if you won't trust and you won't risk. Men, you can't trust. You can't be the man God would have you to be if you can't trust and be secure in Christ. Real love requires risk. Real love requires trust. And then lastly, real love requires that you give control. You see, there comes a point here. I'm in control. Everybody stay with me. I'm in control. Okay, I'm still in control. I'm not in control anymore. 
I am leaning and resting to the degree that if this wall falls, I'm going down. Some of you in this room, your relationships will never be what God wants them to be because you're not willing to do this with anybody, nobody, because you don't trust nobody. I want to tell, I want to talk to you for a second. You don't trust God. You see, real love requires that you and I give up trust, that we give up risk, that we give up control, and we find ourselves at this point leaning. And hear me, when I am leaning to this degree, when I fall, the cost will be great. Some men in this room may be saying, that's impossible, I can't do that. How can I be that kind of man? That's right, you cannot. Ephesians 5.18 says, Men, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't love your wife the way Christ loved the church. You can't be that man that's strong and secure if you're not filled with God's Holy Spirit. That's your strength. Sir, you will have to give up control of your life to Christ. The old hymn, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Some of you in this room are tired because you've never leaned against nothing. You are a Christian in name only. And you're going to have to give up control. You're going to have to risk. And you're going to have to trust if you're ever going to love. And you're going to have to let go of the past. Some men in this room need to take the face of their wife in their hands. They need to kiss her. They need to trust her. They need to lean against her. And that's the same for some women in this room. You need to take the face of your husband in your hands and you need to tell him this, I'll love you as long as there is breath in my body. Because, sir, ma'am, you're going to have to teach that to your children. And if you're not willing to risk and trust and lose control and love the way God would want you to love, hear me. Hear me. You can't love God. It all goes together. Amy's here today. I asked her to be here. A while back, I had oral surgery in, uh, on about three places in my mouth. One of them just, just throbbed and hurt. I mean, it just hurt so much. So uh, finally, I told Amy, I said, Amy, I said, this thing is hurting so bad, I just need to come in. Of course, Amy's a dentist, so she told me, said, well, Dad, come down to Byram, and I'll take a look at it. 
So here my daughter comes in with her white coat and her outfit on and sits down and looks down at me, has her mask and pulls it down across her face and has an assistant there and she's looking. She tells the assistant, said, do some x-rays. Let's make sure that everything is right and did this and that. Then she came back in. She said, Dad, the tooth is really not very good next to where you had surgery and I'm afraid it destabilized the tooth and I'm going to do some things. And she said, you know, Dad, the tooth is just kind of kind of iffy and it may have to come back and do a crown. And, you know, she said, I just don't know right now, but I'm going to do what I can. So she began to give me those shots. She began to do that work, drilling and working and working. Every once in a while she said, Daddy, you all right? I said, I'm fine. She'd carry on a conversation with the assistant and they'd go on and on. And uh, finally she looked back. She said, Dad, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this. I think it'll last a little while. I don't know how long, but it'll last a little while. And uh, she'd pat me. Just like a parent would a child. Now she was a parent. She would pat me and say, you all right, Dad? You all right, Dad? Afterwards, she got through to go somewhere else to go to another operatory to do whatever she had to do. The assistant was standing there cleaning up, straightening up. I was sitting up in the chair. The assistant looked at me and she said, uh, she kind of smiled, she said, you know, what do you think? Your, your daughter's a dentist and she's working on you. And She said, I'd noticed sometimes the way you looked at her when she was talking. She said, what were you thinking? Kind of tears. I said, I was thinking of the, the wisp of red fuzz on her head the first time I saw her. I was thinking of the crystal blue eyes that squinted and adjusted to the lighting after a very difficult delivery, and they were looking at me, and it was like her mom looking back at me. I was looking at the cleft in her chin, and I remember saying to Sheila right after she was born, I said, Sheila, as they were cleaning her up, I said, Sheila, she's got a cleft. And then I remember this. I remember an explosion of love when I saw her for the first time. I didn't know where it came from. I mean, here I had a 7 pound, 11 ounce, 20, half, 20 and a half inch long little baby given to me and I, I sat there and looked at it and just did an explosion of love. And I almost thought, what's happening to me? I, I would die for this. I, I love this so much. God, where did this come from? God said, you came. This nation needs an explosion of godly love. This nation needs an explosion of love for faith, for family, for nation, for good, 
for decency, for character, for what is right. Why? I figured it out this year. Men, until we learn how to love our wives, we don't know how to love God. And until we learn how to love God, we don't know how to love our wives. And for the ladies in this room, ladies, until you know how to love that man that God has given you, love him unconditionally, you don't know how to accept the love of God who loves you unconditionally. That's why when Jesus was faced with the testing of Mark 12, and they said, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. There. Just like that. Let's pray. I want to ask you to stand quietly with heads bowed and with eyes closed. God may be dealing with you right now. And for some men in this room, it's letting go and letting, giving up the control and loving that woman that God has given you. There are women in this room that have been hurt by authority figures. They've been abused sexually. Their thought is, God, how can I ever give control of my life to a man that I don't know that I can even trust. Lord, help them to realize that real love demands risk. There are young people and teenagers in this room today that feel unloved. They're desperately, they are desperately crying out for someone to love them. There are teenage girls, dear Lord, that have compromised and given away their virginity in the hope of receiving that what only can be given, not only by our Lord Jesus Christ, but a loving dad. True love does wait. But sometimes the culture, the media, the things of this world, dear Lord, dull us. People lose that. And so, Lord, I pray today that there'd be an explosion of love, just like there was in that room that day when I held Amy for the first time, my first child. I pray, dear Lord, there'd be an explosion of love for wives to husband, husbands to wife, parent to child, child to parent, grandparent to grandchildren, grandparent to children, children to grandparent. I pray, dear Lord, that there would be that love in the office that we would find ourselves remembering what Paul said in Galatians 5, 6. The most important thing is faith evidenced in love. 
Bible says, God, you are love. So, Lord, I ask you right now to get a hold of us. Wrap your arms around us today, dear Lord, and remind us that no matter where we are in this journey, that you love us, that you care about us. Do something today that only you can do, Lord Jesus. And we'll give you all the honor and the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.